0: Oh, hello? Love, Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech Language Pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk the podcast. I'm so excited that you've joined me today. Today is August 19th, 2013. I hardly ever give the day to me. I don't know what compelled me to do that today, but... So and so if you're listening to this show live or whether you're hearing it weeks or months from now, I am thrilled that you joined me today. First of all, I have a super guest, and I can tell this is going to be a really fun show because we just gabbed and gabbed and gabbed the, you know, five or ten minutes before the show, but before we get going with that, I want to talk about um, my first DVD for Continuing Education uh, is about to be released. It's the same course I've taught since 2010, but it's the expanded, updated edition, and if you didn't hear my little blurb about it last week, it somehow morphed from 6 hours to 12 hours when I put it on DVD, so I got to add a lot of um, research that I don't always have time to talk about when we're doing those live conferences, and again, slow it down a little bit, and since I've done that course since 2010, a lot of Feedback would be, this was too much information for a one-day course, and I guess it (laughs) was, it went to two days, or, well, 12 hours, with very little effort, so I'm so excited that will be, it's in peer review right now, which means that speech pathologists around the country are reviewing it, and then I'll send it to ASHA to get ASHA approval, but it should be for sale sometime in the next 30 days. So keep checking, teachmetotalk.com, and of course, teachmetotalk.com's Facebook page, and if you happen to do Twitter, check it there too, because I'm sure I'll post announcements everywhere, and I'm thrilled about it, and and I think it's going to be so great for places that I know I'm never, ever, ever going to get to visit. So I'm so excited about that and wanted to go ahead and mention it. All right. For today's show, I am so excited that speech language pathologist Kimberly Scanlon has agreed to be my guest today and to talk with me about her darling, darling, darling book called My Toddler Talks, Strategies and Activities to Promote Your Child's Language Development. Hi, Kimberly.
1: Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really, really honored to be here today.
0: Oh, that's so sweet. Okay, so you I've already said you're a speech pathologist. Tell us what else we should know about you.
1: Well, I live in New Jersey. I have a daughter who just turned one years old. I also have a dog named Barney, and I have a wonderful <laughs> husband. Um, and I really enjoy my job. I think I work too much,
0: <laughs> and I really enjoy
1: being a mother. So that is Those awesome. are the two. Because you
0: percent. have a little one at home that you're getting to practice all of your wonderful language development strategies. <laughs> when I had my three, and I would uh, kind of joke with people that I felt like I had these little long term research projects <laughs> going on with language development. Do you feel that way?
1: Yes, yes, I do. I feel like every single time I sit down and play with her or read with her, I'm like, oh, I should be blogging about this. This is wonderful, but yeah, she is my little uh, experiment, but it's fun. There you
0: go. Okay, so Kimberly, you mostly work with birth to three. Or do you see kids of all ages?
1: I see kids of all ages. However, I, I do specialize in that population as well as preschoolers. Um, I work Right now, I I work three days a week. Um, Mm -hmm. I balance it between my private practice, and I also am an independent contractor for a few state agencies in the county. So I I still go and do the home visits with early intervention. Cool.
0: That sounds good. Well, you've got a little bit of everything going on then. So let's move on and talk about your great book, My Toddler Talk. So tell us your inspiration for developing this great resource, and again, not only for parents, but for speech pathologists and other early intervention professionals. And we'll get to all that later, but just kind of walk us through. What made you want to write a book?
1: Well, you know, I've always been a very creative type person. Um, Mm -hmm. Not that I'm a great, great at drawing or, you know, into painting or anything, but I've always liked creating things. And I never woke up and said, I'm going to write a book. It kind of just came to me very gradually. Um, Once I started seeing Birth to Three, I um, really embraced it. I loved it. And I found that I I really enjoyed it, not only because I loved that age, but I also really loved training the parents and working with the parents. And a lot of times parents would come to me with questions and, and want to carry over certain activities or techniques at home. And I would recommend them to wonderful resources and Sometimes they would do it. Sometimes they wouldn't. And then I just started coming up with, like, my own kind of um, handouts. I made up my own handouts, and I started giving it to the parents. And then the parents really took to it because I was also pretty much a stickler for making them follow through with it. (laughs) But uh, um, so I would follow up with the next session and be like, oh, did you try A, B, C, and D? And then they would model it for me the following, you know, that that session Mm -hmm. to see how they did, and I would give them feedback. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really beneficial for the parents, and that's pretty much how I – Decided to to write the book. I think that's how lots of
0: authors start. And nearly every chart that that I have in teaching and talk the therapy manual, or especially my other book, building verbal um, imitation in toddlers, those all that all of my projects start from either little notes that I scribble as I was seeing a family, yes, and then yes. it would just. Yeah, you would just get more formal with it. And then when I would start to have other therapists say to me, hey, I really like how you worded that in this report, or can I look at that little chart you seem to have over there in your book? I'm going to check that out. And it does kind of, I think our best resources are those that are born kind of out of necessity when Mm -hmm. you're working with real kids and real families versus someone who kind of sits down and says, my end goal in life is to write a book. And so I think it's right. more authentic, you know, the other way when it just kind of happens. So I always like to hear people's stories. And that's been the commonality with projects I really, really like is that they say what you said. It just kind of started with, you know, a real kid and a real family. So, I, And I think I can start with therapist, too. Yeah, and
1: I and I, I still do all the activities and play routines, and, of course, I still use all the, the techniques. I mean, I think that um, an experienced speech therapist will look at my book and, and look at it and say, oh, this is what I do. This is what my therapy yeah. sessions look like. You know, I think that because most of all, all of us are using the, the same basic, you know, evidence-based strategies. But the parents may not know them.
0: <laughs> that's right. And let me just say, and I can say this because I get the privilege of speaking to Crowds of speech pathologists and other early interventionists across the country. The therapist should be using these kinds of evidence based strategies, but mm-hmm. not everybody does that. Some people, I'll think, uh, you know, they're talking about things that were still or trying to do uh, <laughs> strategies that I think they learned for preschoolers or school age kids and kind of water them down for toddlers when they're not developmentally appropriate. So yeah, I, you're right, right. That's
1: true. You know
0: that it kind of separates, and again, that's not our audience. The therapists who take the time to listen to a podcast and <laughs> use their own precious, independent, outside-of-work time to continue to hone their craft, you know, of course, we'll preach into the choir with a show like this, but <laughs> not everybody does that, and I think sometimes as therapists, we just take it for granted that everybody's doing the same kind of therapy when really that may not be the case.
1: Yeah, you're prob- you're right, Laura. <laughs> That's true, I agree.
0: Don't short shortchange your skills and how great you are at this job. All right, so let's start with kind of the introduction and I love how you say do with your book, do not skip forward to the activities until you read
1: <laughs> the yes. introduction
0: and in- And read that. That's that's come out of uh, real experience, too, because don't you find that sometimes parents want to dive right in, but they still don't quite know what they're doing yet, and they should read some background information
1: first? Yes, and it's really funny. Actually, my, my very, very good friend, Jolene, she's a fellow speech therapist, and she was the first person who looked at my book. She's like, you know what, Kim? She's like, I think that most people are just going to go right to the activities because they're going to be so eager to get in there. And I'm like, you know right. what? You're probably right. So that's what—that's how I, I came up with the idea for freeze. <laughs> I mean, I hope yeah, that most people can read it, and because I—the I, feedback I have gotten is that people have found that the introduction is is very very helpful, um, and they, I they think, need
0: I think I think it's really helpful. So why don't you kind of walk through? how you uh, the information that you included in the introduction and again for for newer therapists that are listening to the show or for therapists that are more seasoned but they're looking for new ideas this that Kimberly's about to talk about this is your parent education piece this these are the things you should be talking to parents about at the very beginning when you first start to see a child over the first few sessions and if you Stop talking about these things. These are things that you'll talk about every single time that you work with a child and a mom and dad. Because sometimes for adults it takes six or seven times to really process.
1: Mm -hmm. And we need
0: those constant reminders. So I wanted to kind of put that plug in there. If you are listening to the show because you you want to develop better ways to talk to parents or you're, you're still kind of working out your script, listen to what Kimberly's about to say because she's about to give you the language, the words that you could use as you train your parents. So ready, set, go, Kimberly. Talk about
1: that. The first thing I would mention is to parents how important it is to play with your child. And I think parents know that playing with their children is important, um, but I don't think they realize how important it is if they have a child who's not yet talking. And you know, when you play with a child, that's really how, and it's hands-on play. And I'm not, ta- I'm talking about like actually getting a toy, sitting on the ground and playing with them. I'm not talking about picking up a computer, picking up a tablet, technology, and playing in right. you know, playing with them. Right. Um, their brain develops, and they make those connections when they're touching and feeling and manipulating things. Play is like, a, and if if the parent is is warm and. And I, I'm only saying this because I don't find that most parents do it intentionally. But a lot of times they jump into correct too quickly. Right. And I think you want to make sure you ha- you facilitate the play in an accepting, non-critical kind of way, so that right. the child feels comfortable making taking risks and and accepting that you know it may not they may they may take the puzzle and put it in the wrong piece. And I think you actually have to let them do that. Let them do it the wrong way, and then you can show them the right way and not necessarily say, oh, this is what you need to do, you know.
0: I, I think that we can't emphasize play strongly enough, and it's the very first piece that I always talk to parents about because I think sometimes they think, okay, I'm taking my child to speech therapy, or, you know, if you live in a state where you have a big early intervention program and the therapist gets to come to your home, Sometimes they don't really realize that play is how we teach everything, and they expect therapy to look like we're going to belt their child in a high chair and, you know, do use, a, you know, pad or flashcards or something that looks a lot more academic than we should be using with our little guys in early intervention, birth to three.
1: And the other thing I would say about play is if you, the therapist, or the parent aren't having fun, and most likely the child's not having fun. So you really want to make sure you're you're having fun, you're being silly, you're being engaging, but you're also, I mean, I talk about later in my book about um, incorporating play into routines and, and, and developing this concept of play routines, which I'll get to. But um, I think that play has to be something that shouldn't, ne- and I know right now there's a push towards making sure that you're incorporating the techniques into the daily routines, which is very, very important. But I don't Power- think that it... Trump. I don't think it should trump the play. I don't think it should replace the either. play.
0: I don't either. And honestly, when, when I talk about this or if I go if I last year when I was in Illinois and did we did two different conferences in Chicago they have mm-hmm. had a big, 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 big push for everything to be based in daily routines. And I mm-hmm. really like to say I get that. And I know about that, and we've done that in Kentucky, and, you know, everywhere you go, it's kind of the yeah. same thing. It just kind of trickles through. But when parents really don't get someone saying, you've got to sit down with them one-on-one every single day, and if you if you really needs it multiple times a the day, then sometimes mm-hmm. parents don't realize how important that is. And so I love that you started with that, and that's how I'm instantly going to connect with you because that was your very first point, too.
1: Yeah, and I think that, as you said, we have to be the ones who are going to advocate for it, and that we're, we have to be the ones to remind the, the parents, too, because, you know, when I understand this now as a parent and as a working parent. when It's hard to make the time if you're busy and if you have a big family and with other kids, but if it's hard to find the time, then you have to try to build it into your routine somehow. And if you can't sit down and play with them for a long period of time... Just a short period of time, and then you can build yeah. from it. And this is the same with when even when I do work, um, I put a timer on. I say, okay, I'm going to do work for, let's just say, 10 minutes. And then I find that once you get started with something, you end up doing it longer. Yeah. So it can be the same approach too with a parent who may not have the time to to play with their child. But the other thing is, I and, and research has shown this that when you do play with your child, you feel better. You emotionally feel, yeah. you know. Stress has reduced and, and that's another way to encourage parents too if if they're having you know the hard time finding that, that uh that balance, which is hard to do.
0: It is hard to do. And I found that so many times we have to teach a lot of parents how to play
1: because they've mm-hmm. really forgotten
0: about that and especially if it's the first child or if it's a parent who didn't come from a family that really played and, you know, maybe had or or maybe a culture that uh-huh. really embrace and value play. You have to really not only talk about how to do it, but show them how to do it so a parent can really see what you mean by that and that you are on the floor, you are on the child's level, you are mm-hmm. doing all these strategies. And so many times I think we just, as therapists, and especially in those states where they're pushing a coaching model, a lot of times therapists forget that you, coaching means showing them how to do it. And really modeling it so a parent can
1: see, it. and I think it sometimes also parents want to take their kids to the next level, and they may not be mm-hmm. ready for that level, so for instance, a lot of times I walk into homes and the child may not be talking yet and the parent of course usually usually says that they understand everything <laughs> they okay. they say, they understand everything and then you know after some probing you find that you know they don't understand everything and and you know they shouldn't understand everything that that you're saying they understand yet at this age and so you want to make sure that you're you're playing with a toy that's appropriate for them so a lot of times like I'll go into a house and we'll be playing with a little miniature a little miniature dollhouse and yet they may not really understand the symbolism associated with that dollhouse yet. So I would take them exactly. you know, a step further and say, why don't we play with this shape sorter? But you can still have fun with the shape sorter. I feel like sometimes parents don't want to play with more of the simple basic toys because they feel like that might be slowing them down. But, um, you know, I, 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 I don't find that to be the case.
0: I know, and I I really try to teach parents, and I talk about this all the time on the show. You really have to meet a kid where they are developmentally. So if mm-hmm. they are, if, if your child is chronologically thirty months, two and a half, that he hasn't mastered the problem solving mm-hmm. or cause and effect or object permanence, that's where we start. You can't really start with, like you talked about, the symbolism involved in advanced pretend play. We've got to back it up, figure out where that child is, and then make them where they are. So I think that's...
1: Great. Right. And, I, and I don't want to come across as, like, being down on parents because I think parents... No, no, no. I think parents want to do what's best for their kids. I think that, you know, and I think that being that I'm a speech therapist, I'm privy to all this. I, I have the upper hand, especially when it comes to my own daughter. But, um, you know, the, the thing is, I think that when you're a parent, you always... It's tricky. It's tricky to find to find the right balance too. So oh, it's
0: totally tricky. But again, for therapists, that's why a parents coming to you, and they are mm-hmm. essentially saying, "I need help with this child." And so we have to remember that we're teaching, and not just about language, but all those other developmental milestones that that sometimes precede those spoken words. And you talked about receptive language, and I talk about receptive language every single week on the show kids have to understand words before they're ever ready to talk and ever ready to use those words to communicate. So we have to figure out where that child is. And I think play is, it gives us more information about a child's cognition mm-hmm. than really any other, even looking at how he or she performs with any other daily routine or even with other kids, you know, just the, the play piece and how a child uses toys or participates in a social game or whatever kind of, Method or strategy we're using, we get tons of information about where a kid is actually functioning by looking at where he or she is playing or how they're playing.
1: <laughs> I absolutely agree. And I, and I think that if you're a therapist and you don't know like the, the sequences of, of play, that's something you really need to look back at because, as, as you said, I totally agree with play. And I do have a section in the book, Appendix D, that talks about how play relates to language. And a lot of times... Um, Parents find that that section to be very very fascinating. So, yeah, I can,
0: yeah, and I saw that today, and I looked at that, and I I thought that was a great great resource too. Um, when we're talking about play, my one of my favorite quotes that you have in the book, can you have it, uh, you know, in larger font, in bold, <laughs> and, and this is huge. I love it. It says, "My play routines are structured by the adult, but the toddler is the one who makes the decisions and leads the way." <laughs> The adult merely serves as a facilitator. And I love that you said that play routines are structured by the adult because sometimes therapists can get in the habit of, I'm not really going to intervene. I'm really going to kind of see what he does. And to me, that, that's not intervention. That's observation. You know, <laughs> that's maybe something you might kind of consider doing in an assessment, but not really uh, as a big piece of your intervention, because I do think we need to provide that structure and that framework so that we, again, can give a child a clue about what he or she is supposed to do in the play routine.
1: Right, right. And I think that you know, there's um, for toddlers we want to follow their lead, and I think that a lot of times it's misconstrued that it's it may be a free for all for the toddler, and that's not no. the case when you're their lead, and I think that um, it's important to have some some triggers in there so that they know what to expect, so that there's some sort of predictability, yeah. and that's what yeah. I um, I hope to achieve when I when I um, devise the activities to be in, to be a the form of a play routine. So there's a beginning, a middle, and an end so that they know that, okay, we're going to be doing something and we're going to have to sit down for it or we're going to have to stand for it. They know, and that helps them to self-regulate themselves and also helps the parent to know where to start. Because a lot of times, you know, you're giving the parent a toy and they may not know what to do with it, like we've talked about before. But um, if they have this routine and it's predictable, the kids are going to be able to anticipate what's going to happen next, and that's really great for language development because if they know that you know, every time I take a piece out, you know, they have to say something or they have to, you know, put their hand up or they have to do something, then they're going to be more likely to do it next time with less support.
0: Yeah, and I think that, too, that gives us a great, again, way to look at a child's cognition because if you've done the same routine week after week after week and it doesn't appear that the child really remembers that activity or anticipate what. Next, Or if every time kind of looks like you're starting over, that's the big red flag. And then on the other hand, we can really measure progress. And even for a kid who's not talking yet, we're able to say to mom, look, look, he remembered. He remembered that from last week or, you know, three weeks ago or whenever you did the same activity. And, again, I think it's a nice way to reinforce the positive. Changes that might be happening with the child even before he or she becomes verbal, because parents sometimes miss that and don't give that developing cognitive piece as much credit as they should with a child.
1: Yes, I totally agree. A lot of times they just they're just focused on the end result and they want to get there as quickly as possible. And I, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, you know, it's funny when I when I when I first when I was writing the book, I was actually I was actually a little nervous about devising it so concrete yeah. like that because I felt like oh well then they're going to think that they can't be flexible with it and that's not the case at all I think that you know you want to follow a routine and you can I mean after the child like you said gets to know the routine and gets to you know if they remember it then you can start changing it up and seeing how they react or what they do differently. Yeah and expanding
0: you'll get a new idea and different kids are going to react differently to different even the same set of toys, same basic structure, you're still leaving room for that individuality that's in there, whether it's the kid or the parent. So
1: right, right. Understand, and I, and I understand really tried to make friends. toys that um, could be found in, in most households, and yeah. most of the toys are toys that you're gonna you're gonna have and that the kids enjoy playing with. Um, I really wanted to make the I didn't want to make the parent feel obligated to run over to Toys R Us or or, or all these. different – to to play with because i find that a lot of times the kids like playing with just basic stuff they don't need to be ha- they don't need to have toys that light up and and shoot across the room or you know do no. anything like that and and then my act my i have some arts and crafts activities in there which i think which i have a lot of fun with um and the same thing they're not really overly involved i feel like you don't have to go to to um, Michael's and go out and buy 50 things because a lot of times then I feel like if you're too caught up in in the actual making of the activity, you're not focusing enough on the language. Me
0: too. And I do think that sometimes, especially in our age of all those ultra creative mommy bloggers who mm-hmm. have given us all these beautiful ideas and, and we see the Pinterest pictures that again look a lot like an adult did the project instead of a (laughs) two-year-old. We we have, our expectations are too high. Yeah, and I think think that, you know,
1: I find that I like to do more elaborate projects like that if on board. So usually the kid is, the child is not the one who's bored doing these activities. And I find that, you know, because you're, as a therapist or the parent, you're the one who's making it fun. And I find that a lot of times, it's if if they if these projects are really overly elaborate and and I have nothing you know as I said I'm very creative I like to do things like that but I don't necessarily do it during my sessions with a toddler. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but good real you life know.
0: advice. Good real life advice. All right, so we kind of talked <laughs> about that first piece. Let's talk about your how to use this book. Section And this is where you really kind of set out some basic guidelines. And, again, this is great information not only for ther- for parents but for therapists, too, who were looking for uh, ways to structure how they talk to parents about playing and how to incorporate um, play routines with their children at home. So talk about some of your guidelines there.
1: Right. So the first thing I mention is to to talk about to the parent about incorporating a set playtime into the child's schedule. Nice. And that could be something where you actually, as a clinician, you sit down with a parent and you talk about where they can practically sit down and play with their child. So if they have only 15, 20 minutes a day, I mean, I recommend, you know, playing with them a little bit longer than that, but if that's what's feasible for them right now, then start with exactly. that. Right. Once you get started, most likely you're going to play longer, I find. Um, they do. And parents
0: really are enforced by their children's progress. Yeah. But a lot of times I'll have a mom who will say to me, Laura, oh, my goodness, I don't get anything else done during the day anymore because my kid wants to play with me. And she's doing so well now, I can't. I can't not play with her, but I've got to do the dishes and I've got to do the laundry. But I love it when you get a parent to that point because you think, my goodness, you really get it. You're really connecting. And usually those kids that are making light speed progress because mom has really taken ownership of that play piece and has um, been pretty incredible results.
1: Right, right. I totally agree. And then if a the parent, you know, once you do establish some, some playtime for, for your child, they can also then – Develop some independent play skills and play with themselves. If you're if you're the parent, have to get things done. I think that's important too. I think that I didn't mention that in my book, but I think that independent play is equally as important too if it, for the child. But well, um, and that'll be your second
0: book, Kimberly. So yeah.
1: Um, so then, the second thing I talk about is following the toddler's lead during play. And like I said before, you want to make sure that you're really playing on their level. You want to make sure you're following their interests. So. It's not a free for all, but you want to make sure that you are. If they are, if you're playing with Mr. Potato Head, and they're they're pointing at something else in the room, for instance, but you can look at what they're pointing in the room and talk about what they're pointing in the room. You don't necessarily have to get up and stop everything that you're doing because I usually like to focus a little bit on task completion, and I think that having the play routine naturally facilitates that. But um, right. you do want to, you know, if you're playing, I have one activity where I talk about using um. Window clings, and so you can the child can take the window clings and put what window clings they they're most interested in, if they're interested in dogs and get window clings about dogs, if they're interested in right. something else, you know I think that it's that's that's really where you're going to have a fun time playing with your child if you are not trying to just tell them where to put something and what to do with it, if you're letting them, right. let them kind of take something and and exploring it on their own a little bit,
0: yeah. I think so
1: too. All right. So what would be next? Um well I I, talk, I have like eight different points in here but I guess I could mention that with a play routine I usually start with something that's a little bit easy to build up their confidence mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. in the and I always try to end it with a song or something that signals that this is the end. And then in the middle right. of the play routine, that's where I'll try. Once they're, you know, they're all warmed up and ready to go, that's when I try to challenge them a little bit. And when I challenge them, I mean, you know, I'll try to get them to to imitate a certain word, um, to to play something a little bit more elaborate with their with their toy, or um, you know, expand it from there. Um, and I think that you want to do that. Not necessarily. You don't want to challenge them too much right when, from the get go, because if you right. it's still, it's still important to develop. And especially if you're a speech therapist and you're only going in there, you know, once or twice a week or even once once right. a month, I mean, right. um, you want to make sure you have that, that rapport developed and that they're, they're going to want to work with you and have fun with you.
0: I think that's huge. They have to like you. And, again, sometimes I think some therapists don't really think about that inherently Mm-hmm. And so when I'm talking with therapists, whether it's one on one or with a group, and I say, you know, we have to make friends. You know, our little clients have to want to be with us first before we really are able to address any other goal. And they you know, they have to be with you and want to stay and before we can ever think about teaching them something. So I, I think that's I think that's huge too. And I like your Emphasis on starting with something that's easy and familiar, and a lot of mm-hmm. people about this either. They're always kind of pushing for the, the next new word when we do get a kid who's verbal and we're, we're kind of at that point in expressive language is, is our big focus. We don't really start with new targets at the beginning of the session. We start with something that they know that they can do. So that they feel that success, and then we build on that. So I love your
1: your way of teaching that to parents. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. I, I, uh, and I hope that you know that that comes through with the play routines that are that come later in the book. Um, and I think that the other thing is I think that a lot of times parents, once they they've started speech therapy, and they're, you know, they may have started a few weeks ago. And I think that a lot of times people think that as soon as you start something, you're going to see automatic changes or yeah. automatic. Not, it's it's not always the case. I mean, sometimes, yeah there's, yeah, there's a late who who may just take off after you just teach the parent a few strategies. Sometimes. <laughs> a lot of times, though, yeah. it's kind of a slow, you know, a slow, gradual process. And I think right. that what I've actually um, told a lot of parents to do is to video record like a session of you playing with the child, maybe when the speech therapy first starts, and mm-hmm. then you know, looking back at that and seeing how far the child may have come. Because before, he may not have been taking the round peg and putting it in the round hold. He may have been taking the round peg and, and throwing it across the room. I mean, joint attention mm-hmm. and, and being able to that, – and that in itself is a big improvement. And, you know, obviously right. we have to work on that too. So. I think that, you know, just seeing the small little steps is is just as important as seeing, like, big, big changes.
0: Me too. And I think that's our job as therapists, too, is to really point that out to parents so, again, they can feel successful even if Mm -hmm. they're not hearing very many words yet. And we have to, you know, say to a parent, oh, my goodness, we met a goal today. And, you know, the goal we address, you know, it could have been joint attention or it could have been a receptive language goal or whatever, but a parent may be so focused on talking that they don't realize has um, really building foundation for that, and so I think that's that's huge information for parents. I love that you're talking about too, even with parents about setting goals and charting progress. And I, your your way of looking at that on video is um, for our visual parents. We might have some parents who won't even really be able to to realize it unless they're looking at their child several weeks ago you know, and and they're not able to even acknowledge it unless they have that mutual
1: point of reference. So that's a great figure. Yeah, you know, and I find that a lot of times people think that they're doing something, and then when they see it, and this, you know, I don't know how, and you were probably in grad school much earlier than I was, but (laughs) when I was in grad school, what I found very, very effective for me is when they tape recorded our sessions. I think they still do this, you know, in most grad schools, and it's the same. It's the same thing for parents. I mean, they have to see what they're doing because a lot of times parents will be like, "I worked on not asking questions because that's a big one." A lot of times parents ask like yeah. ten oh. questions in a row, yeah. and I'm just like, "Oh no!" And you know, I used to be like that in grad school too. My oh, first God. client, my first client in grad school, um, was a toddler, and I was so awkward with it. I was talking way too much, and yeah. I was trying to, to control the play too much. And I find that you only get better at it the more you practice and the more you see yourself doing it and catching yourself in the moment. And so I think right. that parents also can't put too much pressure on themselves to be perfect the first time they do it. Um, and I think that seeing that visual feedback, like you said, it is so helpful. Um, it's funny. I had a parent last week who, who I was, you know, I pointed them out, like, maybe we should balance the questions a little bit with the comments because comments are just as effective yeah. and a lot of times, I find that they—they're obviously more effective because they're—they're they're not yes. putting the direct pressure on the child, and they're giving the child the more opportunity to say whatever they want to say instead of being narrowed into just the answer to the question. And Go she, ahead. once I pointed it out to her, she was like, "Oh my goodness, I can't stop asking questions." <laughs> so that was her. That's gonna be. I'm interested to see how she's gonna do um, later this week. <laughs>
0: I know, and that is a hard habit to break, and a lot of times parents really do think that they're they may think they're doing something that they're not doing or vice versa, and so we do Mm -hmm. have to kind of point it out. Sometimes I have parents who actually have great instincts, but they're not giving themselves enough credit for all of the wonderful things that they're doing, and I I, that happens a lot, don't you think?
1: Definitely, definitely, yeah. I I think that um, parents put too much pressure on themselves because they want to see that change. And when they are doing something right, they just kind of like dismiss it because they're, they're looking to do the next best thing. <laughs> but yeah, we, have, know, to, we yeah. have to make sure we point that out to them.
0: We do. And sometimes I have to say to a parent who's, who's doing everything perfectly, look, we just have to give this a little bit more time. Or this is not about you right now. This is about your child. And yes, we can't tweak our strategies a little bit, and we can do something a little different and try something, you know, again, try a new idea. But sometimes you have to say to a mom, you just need to do more of it and re- relax a little bit and give a child a time to really learn it.
1: Right, sometimes right.
0: Sometimes I don't always recognize that too, either.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs>
0: All right, let's move on and talk about your next section where you really do a nice job of describing language modeling techniques and elicitation strategies. And I love that you use real-life language and descriptions rather than all that intimate talk. (laughs)
1: You had to... <laughs> oh, thank you. You know, my husband, he actually, um, he, he looks at my book every once in a while. And he's like, Kim, he's like, I don't understand the self-talk and parallel talk. So I think that in my next edition, I'm just going to take that out because everything else, I'm just going to reword that <laughs> because oh, yeah. uh, everything else is pretty much parent-friendly. But, um, yeah, no, I, I try to take everything that I do, um, and that is best practice, and incorporate it into the book. And I find that, you know, you. Well, not to. You know, I'm going to use them now because I talked about it in my book. But self-talk and parallel talk are usually, I think, very helpful to tell parents about when they're just starting therapy, and that there's a good way of doing it. Well, a, be, a good nice way of doing it, and then a better way of doing it. So when you're talking about, you know, what you're doing, you want to make sure you're not talking like it's on a play-by-play, and that you're not talking at nauseum, which I think is easy to do. Oh. Um, yeah. But uh, and also that when you're using these techniques of self-talk and parallel talk, that the expectation isn't for the child to repeat you, that you're really using them to just give them exposure to language. So usually if a child's not yet talking, I try to assess or determine like how talkative the parent is and how much I think that they may be talking to the child because some people, some individuals having, you know, just, just going around the house with their toddler and talking about what they see and stuff. They just, it just may not feel natural to them. And oh, um, that's something you have to try to train the parent to do a little bit and do it appropriately. I think so, too. Again,
0: the only way you can point that out to them, you can talk to them about how they talk, but really it's when you model it for them. And you, mm-hmm. you say, what, what? Listen to this. Yeah, you know, let let me show you how I would do that. And so they can really um see and hear what you want them to do.
1: Yes, yes. That's modeling it for the parent is very important. And I, I find that you want to model it in a way that they're going to understand it too, and that you can also do it maybe during a a certain daily routine that you may want to work on or during a certain, you know, play activity that you're doing right then and there. Or something I find that the best times it it comes up though is when you least expect it to, when something just happens during the session and you're like, oh, this is a great example where you can use this technique. So for instance, I um I was working with a family today and the, session was going beautifully. The child has great attention, and we were playing, and it was like the last 20 minutes of the session, and the child got up, <coughs> excuse me, and wa- walked into the kitchen and was pointing at the cabinet, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, mom, and she was just going to get the, the, the um, granola bar or something and just give it to the child. I was like, mom, this is a great time for you to give them a choice and see right. what they want to and and she did it and she's like and the mom was like, You know, I always forget to do that during you know, when it's happening. And so right. sometimes those those moments are the best.
0: I think those are the best. I had a family in on Friday and they're from out of state and so we I do these three days for the next day, and I see them over that period of time. And we were the it was an unusual situation because the dad was by himself and the mom has a new baby at home so we styped the mom in, which was really kind of cool. I'm going to try to do that for now. And the mom said, I think the main reason that I'm not hearing as many words as I could be during the day is because I have really set up our home so that my child can be really independent. So all of his Mm. little snacks are on the bottom shelf. And so Mm, she I'm hearing you talk about that. I really haven't set up anything so that he would have a reason to come talk to me because I talk to these parents a lot about their child initiating and kind of waiting and he was a kid who is a super imitator but he's got to kind of get over that hump of being a little bit more spontaneous. And again, a kid who's already verbal, so that's a little different than when we first start working with a family and you know, with a child who obviously is not talking yet. But just to have a mom kind of recognize that and say, oh, my goodness, I need to make some changes here at home so that he has more of a reason to initiate with me and more of a reason to spontaneously request because if everything's where he can reach it and get it himself, there's, there's, no motivation there to communicate.
1: And you know, it's funny. I, I I'm listening to that, and I and I'm thinking to myself that mom probably worked so hard to get her child. <laughs> you know, and, and I just and I and I just feel like you know we have to, which is wonderful, but if it's different if you want them to talk and if you want them to to use nice. their words to get something. And that's something we have exactly. to you know like you said, we have to point that out to them. So. Right,
0: and that's I wouldn't have even known that. That mom came up with that. I mean, she really took what I was talking to her and dad about and, you know, what what we were using in the session. And this little guy had a train table in my office, and so I had all the trains in the drawer. And so he walked in, and he was really looking for the trains. And, you know, that's something that mom. Um, you know, I've never been to their home. They live in Texas. I live in Kentucky. You know, I'm not going there. <laughs> but, right, right automatically thought, oh my goodness, that was a real aha moment for her because, you know, one of their the reasons they said, you know, he's he's really imitative that he does and ever really uses language. And so I was so proud of that mom for being able to come up with that and realize, gosh, I've got to do some things differently here. So he has, has that reason. And it just really is a that. Her- Offshoot of your example with walking in the kitchen and and saying, Mom, we could do this and the mom going, Oh my goodness, I never do that. I need to change. I'll eat here at home.
1: Yeah, no, and it happens in those moments too, because I, I told her the the week before, like, oh this is what you can do, you know, to work on this. And they don't understand it yet, I think, until it actually happens too with the daily routines. Yeah. And right. I think that um now that I'm a parent, I know that some daily routines are tough and that, like, you know, it may be yeah. tough getting out of the house. So I encourage my, I usually start with a daily routine that they have fun with and that they right. enjoy. So right. if they want to embed language learning and maybe like mealtime or bath time versus uh, the going, well, the going to bed routine, you know, where they don't want to get the child too stressed out or put too much pressure on them, or like they or just or find anything. that maybe the child doesn't want to go to sleep and so they're not going <laughs> to, you know, you, right. you want to start with something. Is going to be successful and easy for the parent too,
0: right? And I really think that too. And when they you know, they'll come into the office and they'll say, even if when I was doing a lot of home visits, and they would really try to say, you know, I'm trying during changing time to say, you know, to really narrate what we're doing and to really get him to make a choice. And I want to say to that mom, don't worry about it right now. Just get his diaper changed. You look like you're having to wrestle <laughs> him anyway. Don't make it harder on yourself.
1: I know it's so, it's so true. Yeah, no, it's because my daughter right now she's very she's becoming very very mobile and she's just not like having her diaper changed. And I'm like, oh my goodness! I told this mom last year that she should work on her, you know, self talk and parallel talk. And I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs>
0: I know, and that's why a lot of times I really do say to parents, you may not be able to accomplish as much as you want to right now and do. In that's why that play piece is so important. Yes. It's that, yeah. that, that one-on-one time that you really – I mean, because a lot of times, too, moms are running their household during the daily routine part. You might be feeding the baby, but you're talking to your older kids. You're talking to your husband. You're saying, can you please plug my cell phone in because it's about to go dead. I hear it beeping. Or you're saying, you know, or you go to the dry cleaner on the way home because I don't think I have time for that. You know, you, we just do all these other things, but play rather than daily routines. It really sets that – that time aside. And so I tell moms all the time, we want to embed language in daily routines, but don't beat yourself up if it doesn't go as beautifully
1: as you yeah. would want
0: it to because it's real life.
1: Totally. I totally agree.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So you have other strategies. What would be your other couple of strategies, Kimberly? Because we're not really going to get to talk about your great activities if we don't move this along.
1: <laughs> no, I know. Um, that, that's <laughs> totally fine. I, this is This is going great. Um, I guess another activity that I usually like to, I mean, I talked about not making sure that you're not questioning too much. Um, I usually try to have parents make a few comments first and then ask a question because sometimes parents are just asking question after question after question. And and when you're getting into that, that mode of asking question, it's no longer a give and take. It's no longer a back and forth and it's no longer fun. So I think that, um. You know, I always try to encourage parents to have that give and take and to pause. I think that's a really, really big one. That I think that you don't necessarily. I think that when a child's not talking, you want them to talk so badly that you end up talking more. You do all the talking. Yeah. And That when you find that you're doing all the talking and not even giving that child enough time to process the question that you're asking, or the comment that you made, or what you're doing then they're really not going to, it's going to be so much harder for them to do anything. So like yeah. you said about receptive language, receptive language is so important. And just maybe you want to get them to respond to something first versus initiating something first. So with pausing, That's I usually have parents, you know, if they're having a hard time waiting to, to really inwardly count, you know, one to three Mississippis or one to five Mississippis, depending on the child.
0: I think that's great advice, and you know, those of us who are naturally talkative and chatty, we may do that without even realizing. And that's we were talking <laughs> yeah, earlier yeah. about videotaping sometimes, and even now, even though I've been a speech pathologist for twenty years, I've videoed nearly every session just because of the practice I have now. But I'll say, well, no wonder that kid didn't say anything because it was me. I was too <laughs> talking. I, I it's was. So too, true yeah. Too yeah, and so it really can happen even accidentally, even when you know better. So, yeah. you know, that's something we need to really teach parents to do.
1: And I think it's important too to just slow down your pace. And I think yeah. that um, when you just slow down your pace with everything you do, I think, or if you lower your voice a little bit, that yeah. helps to really process things a little bit better and also help them to slow down. There was a time where last year I was working with a child whose mom was very concerned about his hyperactivity, and he was only, like, two years old. And he ended up, he ended up just, you know, being fine. He was discharged from, from early intervention by the end. But I was like, you know, Mom, there's a lot going on in the house. Um, let's right. try one. We have, you know, I always try to get the parents to make sure that we we do the session in a room that's not too visibly overstimulating, that the television isn't on, that, um, you know, it's going to be conducive to learning. And I think that if you're stressed and you're moving, kids are very intuitive and they're going to pick that up. And so right. I think that if you consciously just take a few breaths and slow yeah. down your speech and lower your voice, that makes a big difference too. I think so, too. I think so, too. All right. Let's
0: get ahead a little bit. I love your troubleshooting tips, and you've got a really cute little uh, word that you use to keep parents for that.
1: <laughs> yes. No, I, I had a lot of fun coming up with some of these acronyms here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, it's fun, though. <laughs> um, it's fun. So that, I would probably go with what I was just talking about, reducing pressure. making Because everything, if you slow down and you lower your voice, I think that, uh, and also not asking too many questions, you want to make sure that you're not really putting too much pressure or stress on your toddler. And because, like I said, they're going to pick up on it and it's no longer going to be fun. Um, so you want to try to make sure everything is kind of, you know, fun and lighthearted. And if they don't do it this time, they may do it next time. You know, and, and right. you know, just... And just like everything, kids have good days and kids have bad days, just like us. So we have to expect that. And if they are having a bad day one day, then then do something that they're going to be really su- successful with and don't really try to challenge or push them too much. That's
0: good. Um, uh,
1: yeah, add support. So if um, you find that you're just, you know, chatting too much or saying something and they're not processing it, add a picture. Add something that's going mm-hmm. – you know, Touch their face or make them, you know, feel it. Feel it. If they can't get their lips together for M, you can touch them. I mean, I, some people don't feel comfortable with, you know, different types of tactile cues or whatnot. But once you get to, to know the child enough and, and they trust you, know, I feel that it's fine to just, you know, give them a little tactile cue to get their lips together to say pa, exactly. you know. And imitating the child. This one's a big one, too. Um, a lot of times kids children toddlers are gonna to be more apt to say something or repeat something if you imitate what they're saying. So if yes. they say woof woof they're gonna you can say woof woof and they may keep on saying woof woof and then you can add to it eventually. You know, the Ooh. dog said woof woof. Um slow down your rate of speech, um exaggerate your intonation, um making sure that, you know, you, you place emphasis on certain words that you may want to target. Is just you know pretty basic, simple stuff, but something that you know sometimes doesn't. Parents may not be aware that they need to do, or they may be putting emphasis on a different word and, and not really knowing it. Um, Shorten, you know, making sure that you're not saying really, really long-winded sentences when you're talking to the child, or um, you're making sure that it's grammatically correct, um, not leaving off certain words that eventually you're going to have to just have an add. As the word is, see, for instance, leader, you know. Right. So.
0: Yeah, and I but. think we're really meeting children where they are developmentally, too. And a, a lot of moms, a lot of really educated moms, too, will forget that short and sweet part. And they're giving paragraph explanations. For every single thing that they're doing, without really keeping it at um, the level where their child can not only understand, but might have half a shot at imitating too, or saying.
1: Yeah, because if you're saying a really long sentence of five or six words, if the child's not ready to, they mean they may have forgotten the sentence already, so they may be like, "We? Yeah. What are we talking about?" Yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You've got some great do not. You want to run over those really quickly, and these are things that we we probably have talked about most of these or some of these uh, already, but I think this is great advice.
1: yes, and you know it's funny a lot of times parents love the do not list, and I find that therapists love the troubleshooting tips, so yeah, that was something that I picked up on um correcting your child's communication, which we talked about, um making sure that if the child says um." If they look at a picture of a cow and they say dog, you're not going to say, oh, no, that's not a, you know, a, a dog, that's a cow. You want, you want to make sure that, oh, well, that's, that, you know, you you can model it a little bit differently so that you're yeah. like, oh, a cow says moo, you know, so you're not kind of directly saying what they did wrong. You don't want to correct them too much. Yeah. Or if they said ba for ball, you want to say, oh, no, not ba ball. I feel, find that yeah. sometimes people do that and they don't even realize that they're doing that. Um, using too many negatives. um Negat- negativity is just not fun, um, just telling them what they can't do. And, not, you know, even with my daughter, I find that I do not use the word no with her. I, I only do it an occasion when if I feel that, you know, something really bad is going to happen. Oh, but if that I say no or don't, what does she do? She does it even more. starting <laughs> 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 to, like, test everything. But um,
0: yeah, a big one. Exactly. It does drive yeah. kids away from you though. And a lot of times, speech pathologists are too focused on behavior when they should really realize the real reason is is to facilitate communication and facilitate, you know, positive participation rather than that constant um, yeah, correction. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, teaching the ABCs, I usually don't advise if the child is not yet talking um, right. to talk about, you know, numbers and the ABCs and teach that because it's not functional. Um, it's not relevant I mean, at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And then oh, ignoring your child's interests, making sure that and this is simple very similar to following your child's lead. You want to make sure that if they are interested in something, you incorporate that interest in what you're doing. And and that and that is something that, you know, if they if you're if you are um talking about something and they're showing interest in it, talk about it more and get what? Right to something more and if you find that they're not interested in something or you take out the perfect example you just bought a, a nice toy let's just say you bought a really really nice toy at Kohl's and you're eager to have your child play with it and they just don't like it and this happens this happens even with my daughter and I'm like oh I just spent this money and they're not going to play so then you take, what do you do you take it out again in hopes that they're going to play with it again sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but I find that if they're not into something then I wouldn't waste your time to keep on pushing it. But, I think and then so
0: and that's what follow your child's lead really means. It, yeah. And sometimes, again, we kind of screw that up as therapists. So there you go. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and a big one, expecting too much too soon. Um yeah. You know, it, it takes a while, to, and we've talked about this, so, you know, Continually, I think that you know, it, it takes a while. If if a child is really struggling to to acquire language, I mean, it's not going to be something that necessarily is going to happen overnight. Um, and we have to give them time to to develop and and time to make progress with their baby steps because they have they they have to have a solid foundation in order to really have that word spurt or language boom. Exactly. And, All right,
0: we have about four minutes left, so give us kind of a preview of some of the really fun activities you have in the book. And this is this is great, Kimberly. It actually worked out really well because I want to give reason, people a reason about the book. And so if they've heard you talk about all these wonderful strategies and all these great ideas. But they're going to want more, so this is going to give them, again, extra incentive. So gloss over what your activities are, and then they'll have to get the book to really.
1: really <laughs> well, I have about. a lot of different activities in here, and it, it's varied for different abilities. So if your child is just at the point where they just like to, to, to take toys and dump them out, you can start with a, an activity like the scarf activity where you take, um, you take scarves or you take something and you, and you pull it out of a box. And you you talk about that, and I have the whole play routine details in there. I mean, I have I, I really try to take the toys that most people would have, but if you are into something right. like with the arts and the crafts, I have a lot of really fun activities here. One's called um, painting with markers, and that's where you you take a paper plate and some some washable markers, and you, you have the child draw on the paper plate. And there's a whole play routine in there, and then you just take a water bottle, and kids love this and I find that this is really good, especially with a little maybe like a child who who's already talking and, and has some intention and and um, is able to follow multi step directions where um, mm-hmm. they take the spray bottle and, and they press the spray bottle, and you know, sometimes they, may have, they actually struggle to 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 spray, and that's when they have to request, "Oh, I need help," or something like that and so it's just really fun to to see that um, and to make to make the um, the the art, if you will, because then it's something that you can display later and put on your fridge and talk about it. So if you're doing that's an activity really with good. mom, that's, you know, mom yeah. can take the the final product, put it up, and then dad can talk about it with the child later. And I think that's really important too for for talking about um, language about this. Is obviously, probably better for kids who are a little bit older, but if they're talking about what happened in the past, okay, or older yeah. language more sophisticated. So a lot of times parents will come home and be like, oh, what did you do today? And for a child who doesn't, who's not yet talking or struggling to talk, they need to have a frame of reference. They need something to talk about. So I find that a lot of times when you have like an arts and crafts activity or project, it's nice to have that frame of reference.
0: I think it's good too. And the back section, you have these great sheets where parents can really track vocabulary growth. You've kind of recapped some of the earlier advice. I love the section about how play relates to language. I'm doing a big project about this right now. So this is super information to kind of dovetail. But a lot of of therapists really don't understand how play emerges and how that really connects to language. So that would be a really great reference for therapists who are just starting to think about that.
1: Right, and but- the tracker toddlers vocabulary growth is really great, too, for parents who maybe are a little bit more anal retentive and want to see exactly what, I mean, I've had parents actually do this where they, they've sat down and they, every week they write down what the words are. And then I've had other parents mm-hmm. who are like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. But for the parent that does want to do that, that's very, very motivating for them. And I actually did create an app. It's called My Toddler Talks Word Tracker, and it's totally free. You can download it on iTunes. And um, it, it helps you track your toddler's language development. You can add your child's your child's name and your child's date of birth, and um, and and see you know how how they're progressing with certain activities.
0: Oh, I think that's a great idea, and I'm really going to pass that along to parents. All right, we're finishing up. Tell people how they can get your book.
1: They can go right to Amazon, and they can buy it through Amazon. It's called My Toddler Talks, Strategies and Activities to Promote Your Child's Language Development. And if you do buy the book, thank you, and I would really, really appreciate you know any feedback on the book. I love hearing from my readers, so you can visit my website. I actually have two websites, but the one website that's just devoted to um, toddlers is called mytoddlertalks.com, and the other one that's is scanlompeach.com. So.
0: Well, I hope that parents will pick this up, but really, therapists, you listen up. If you need some easy parent education uh, handouts, and tools, this would be a great, great, great resource for you to get, and so that you can talk to parents back and again. Also, give yourself some uh, new therapy ideas. I got one today with you saying, draw on the marker and then spray it with a spray bottle. I've never done that in 20 years, but Oh wow! Yeah, no. Let me
1: know how it goes. My kids love it.
0: I have a little guy in that he's in from out of state, and he's gonna. That's what we're doing tomorrow when he comes back for day two of his little assessment because I know he's gonna love that. Um, Today, he kept trying to draw with wanted to draw with my pen, kept reaching for it, so that's gonna be a great thing for us to do. So darling book, Kimberly, and I want you to write a second book so you can come back and be a guest again.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Laura. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you. All right, guys. That's all for this week. I hope you'll join me next week. We have a great mom coming on this week. who has some questions with activities to do with her little guy who is premature, so of fun uh, play activities with to too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.